Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Janet and Gray. Enjoy. Hey, are we there? I can't be the only one this morning who's like celebrating Broncos, right? Go Broncos. Finally. I mean, that was so awesome. That was so fun. Anyway, uh, so yes, that, that was great. I'm so happy to be with you this morning. You know, we have been uh, in our leading up to Christmas, we've been in a series of messages from the book of Matthew, the first chapter of Matthew, where uh, Matthew lays out the genealogy and the lineage of leading up to the birth of Christ. And the last couple of weeks, um, Pastor Trevor has done a great job of explaining why this genealogy and why these lengthy, lengthy so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, and on and on and on, why those were so important to the nation of Israel as their inheritance was meant to stay in the nation and they were passing these things down from father to son, father to son, father to son. Yes, it was all about the guys. Because the women, it was a patriarchal society. The women didn't have much power. Um, It was all going from father to son, father to son, which makes the genealogy in Matthew so unusual because Matthew includes five women in that. And they are actually very interesting women on their own, not always the usual suspects that you would think would be included. So um, the last two weeks, Pastor Trevor's taught on Tamar, the life of Tamar. And then last week we learned about Rahab, and today I get to teach on Ruth. So we're in the book of Ruth. And uh, just I'll give you just a little snippet. I'm not gonna go through the whole genealogy, but I'll tell you just a little bit of where Ruth fits. So in chapter one, verse four, it's uh, Nashon is the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, who we met last week. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And then he goes on to to prove that Jesus came from the line of David. So we're just one generation from last week's teaching on Rahab. So the book of Ruth is one of two books in the Bible named for women. There's only two, and they're both short stories about ordinary women who had... Uh, their courage and their faith allowed an extraordinary God to use them for his purposes. For Esther, in the book of Esther, it's to save the Jews that are living in Persia and in Ruth to preserve that lineage of Jesus. Uh, It's four chapters long. It would take 15 minutes to read, which I'm not going to do for you. Instead of that, we're gonna let the Bible Project do it because they do such a great job and they can do it in seven minutes. So we're gonna watch the video and then I'll come back to you. The Book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter one opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, 
I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter two begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food. And it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter three begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter four, it all comes together. It turns out at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter one. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed. And that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story. And that's how little God is mentioned. Right? The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story. And that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life, but not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer, who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will 
with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy, showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. Just so good. Yay. The Bible Project is such a gift, such a gift. Before we jump into Ruth, I want to ask you a question. I have my computer glasses on, so I have to look over them to see you. Uh, How many of you have been named for someone in the family? You were named strategically a, a favorite aunt or uncle or a generational name, something like that, right? You had a name that was passed down. I know I was named for my mother's best friend, Janet. My husband is a junior, so he was named for his father, right? Um, What about family names, like those odd, weird family names that get stuck in as your middle name kind of thing, (laughs) right? Some of us have those. What about anybody named for, like, uh, a movie star or, you know, there were a lot of Lukes and Leas. See, I see their hands up there. Like, any Beyonce's in here? Do we have Beyonce? Anybody Beyonce? No? Okay. Well, my point is that names are very, very important. Our name is part of our identity. And um, there's a lot that we're going to see in the book of Ruth. We're going to see some more about names. And so I thought we would just start with that. Uh, As as, um, the Bible Project showed us, the first few chapters, I mean, the first few verses in the first chapter just lay out this tragedy of this family, Elimelech and Naomi, and their two sons who have moved from um, Israel to Moab to escape the famine. And they're not there very long before Elimelech, whose name, by the way, means my God is king, uh, dies. And Naomi, whose name is Pleasant, is um, left with her, her boys who then take Moabite wives, Ruth and Orpah, Um, And interestingly enough, uh, the two boys' names are Malin and Killian, which mean sickly and wasting. So whatever your folks branded you with that you weren't too happy with, you know, there could be worse. It could be sickly and wasting. And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us how they got that name. Um, Parents are usually very strategic about the names that they give. And you don't know whether, like, did it start like, this is my son, John, he's sickly. And then it was, this is my son, he's sickly. And then it just kind of grew to, this is sickly. I don't know. You know, we don't know. Unfortunately, though, we do know that sickly and wasting, unfortunately, lived up to their names, and they died early. And they died early without heirs. So now we see these three women who are left uh, without their husbands and with no, in this world, that means they had no provision, no protection. They were very vulnerable, and they knew sorrow, right? They had mourned the deaths of their spouses, their father-in-law, and they had moved through this grief together for a time. You know, uh, we are talking about mourning uh, today, and, and when we are in times of deep grief and loss, there are a lot of negative emotions that we can feel, and they come and go, and they don't always stay. There's always, you know, sadness, for sure, but we can feel other negative emotions that kind of come up unexpected. Sometimes there's even anger. Sometimes there's anxiety or fear, uh, fear of the future. Sometimes there's regret and guilt, you know, I should have done more, I should have said more, I should have spent more time, that kind of thing. Sometimes um, there's isolation and separateness. We feel other than and lonely. There's a lot of emotions that can cause us to feel disconnected, disconnected from God and outside of God's grace. 
this kind of experience can cause us even to doubt God's goodness, right? We, we can, in, in grief, we can feel overwhelmed. There, sometimes there are decisions to be made that you're not prepared to, you haven't been prepared to make and they feel urgent and you feel inadequate. And sometimes it's just so overwhelming that the future and how to move forward is just, uh, it's like shifting sand and you can't find your, your footing. Uh, I've heard that, uh, that the level of grief that we uh, experience can be like a mirror to the level of closeness of the relationship. So um, we might hear of someone's passing that isn't a close um, friend or relative, and we might be saddened by that, but we don't go into deep grief like we do when we lose a, a, a dear, close member of our family, a spouse, a parent, right? Uh, so Naomi hears in the middle of this grief. They're, they gotta make some decisions and she hears that God is blessing um, in the land of Israel. Again, there's food available and so she says to the three of them, okay, we, we're, we need to get up and move and we've gotta go back. Uh, and she tries to go alone, but then um, she's, she's sending Ruth and Orpah back. She, they get on the road and she changes her mind and says, hey, wait, you two need to go back. There's nothing for you in Israel, you need to go back. And um, she tries to go it alone. And I'm gonna read from um, chapter one in 12 and 13. This is what she says to these women. She says, return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, which means she doesn't, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. You know, this is, when I read this, I think Naomi is, she's out of reserves, right? She is in survival mode. She's hopeless about her future. It's pretty bleak as far as she can see. Um, all of this sorrow has just overwhelmed her. She recognizes God's sovereignty, but she doesn't feel at all like he's going to bless her in the future. She's, she can't see, she doesn't have any expectations. She can't see that he's gonna bless her and she doesn't believe that he's on her side. So Orpah, whose name means, interesting, either gazelle, like she ran away, or neck, as in stiff-necked, I don't know how that works. But anyway, Orpah actually does go back. But Ruth, Ruth stands her ground. And she, by contrast, she chooses faith in God. And so in verse 16 and 17, this is, this is what we find. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Right? That's an often quoted um, beautiful confession of commitment and faith. And what we see is Ruth, whose name was, means compassionate friend. Ruth loved Naomi. She loved Naomi with that kind of deep chesed love in, in the Old Testament, that love that is connected, that love that is committed, that love that can create connection and comfort and courage and confidence. And interestingly enough, where uh, Naomi is the Israelite who is not confessing that she's trusting in a good God, here is Ruth the Moabite, the foreigner, who by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? She is the one who is confessing her faith in God and then she's trusting him to take them forward and they're gonna go forward together. She loves Naomi, even when Naomi is pushing her away. Because Naomi says a few times, no, you gotta go back. And you know, sometimes when we're processing grief and we're hurting, sometimes people can push away, push others away unintentionally, not knowing that God has actually put them in their life for healing. Because our perspective is clouded. We need compassionate friends like Ruth who can see past that and say, nope, I'm sticking with you. 
There is another lens, uh, one of the commentaries brought up that I thought was interesting as we look at this story, and that is that, you know, uh, sometimes we can create our own place of separation with God, our feeling of separation with God, by our own disobedience, our own choices. And so Proverbs 3, 5, you all can say it with me because I know many of you know this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path, your steps. Did you notice yesterday in the ball game that the quarterback had that on his sleeve, Proverbs 3, 5, that was so cool. Well, uh, leaving Israel might have seemed like a good idea to Elimelech and Naomi at the time to escape the famine, but it certainly did not reap the consequences and the, and the harvest that they were hoping. And, um, and, you know, it ended up actually separating them from God. It separate, separated them from their community. And then to compound it, the boys marry Moabite women, which was strictly forbidden. They were not to marry foreign uh, women. And so um, we see that those decisions that they thought in the time were the right ones um, don't bring them blessing. But the good news is that we have this beautiful thing called repentance. It's a gift. And through repentance, we always have the ability to come back to a place where we can experience God's mercy and his forgiveness. The prodigal can always come home. And there's a bit here, I'd like to think that maybe Naomi in this, recognizing that she needs to go back into that place where God is moving is a bit of repentance. So we can see that, that grief and loss and suffering changes us. It changes our view of ourselves and it changes our view of others and of God. Um, you know, when the world shifts and, and when there's deep loss, it will never be quite the same as it was before that loss, right? Um, so Naomi is coming back to Bethlehem, but she comes back a different person. When we look at verses 19 and 20, uh, we see that Ruth and, and Naomi arrive in Bethlehem and it says, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem and when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Small town. Anybody grew up in a small town? <laughs> Everybody knows what's going on, right? Whew, Naomi's back, right? So, uh, but when they saw her, the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So the community um, sees the results of her hopelessness, and they grieve with her. They say, is this our Naomi? because bitterness has the ability to change even how people can see us and experience us. It's how, it changes how we look even, and it changes our countenance and our attitudes. Um, and on top of that, she's chosen that identity. She's changed her name. She's replaced pleasant with bitter. And she's blaming God. She's mad at God. Have you ever been mad at God? I have. Well, there's, I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> I know you're out there. Listen, God gets blamed for a lot of things that he's not guilty of, right? And he can handle, he knows us, he loves us, and he can handle it because he's working behind the scenes, right? So we've been talking about death as the, uh, in this kind of grief, but... Uh, I think we can all agree that there are other circumstances, there are other things in life, there are other hardships that we go through that can cause deep grief and loss. We can have the death of a relationship, right? Divorce, um, betrayal, infidelity, addictions, things like this damage relationships. We can lose, uh, a parent can lose a child from divorce. The children can lose a parent through divorce. Um, there are other things that, that happen. We can have, we can even grieve those little members of our family who we've never actually gotten to meet. There's deep grief from infertility. 
from miscarriage, from a past abortion. There's the kinds of things that we go through with deep and tragic health issues, disease, or tragic accidents that rob us of our independence or our ability to function um, mentally or physically. There are lots of conditions and circumstances. The, the, the Bible says you're gonna have hardship, right? Life can be hard. But we have to be careful. And so in those times we mourn um, the happy future that picture of the future that we thought was going to be forever. And we mourn that lost, happy future. But we have to be careful about what we say about who we are, what we speak over ourselves, because our words have power. We are made in the image of the God who is the creator, who spoke all of creation into existence with his words. And made in his image, our words have the power of life and death as well. And we need to be careful of how we paint ourselves and what we say to ourselves about our identity. I know that at the darkest time when our marriage was broken, um, it felt like there'd been a death in our home. And there was lots of loss. There was loss of trust. There was financial loss. There was loss of reputation and shame. There was a, other people were hurt. It was, it was painful and we were in grief and I was in deep grief. And as I processed through all the emotions that came, I heard those words and I said those things to myself about myself, rejected, unloved, stupid, disqualified, right? I heard those names, failure. But unlike Naomi, I had this deep reserve of the knowledge and the past experience that I had had with God who had showed me his love, his faithfulness, and that I could trust him. I had this deep place of knowledge that I could draw, draw on and I anchored into his love and hope. I spoke life over myself. I spoke life over the conditions and the circumstances that we found ourselves and I stopped agreeing with the language of defeat. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I needed desperately for that to be true. And I leaned into that with everything I had and I found that it is true. God is faithful. Suffering changes us, but God is at work to heal and restore us. And sometimes all we can do is take the next breath, just keep breathing and keep showing up. Take the next baby step which is what Naomi does. She takes that baby step to come back into community where God is moving and where he can bless her. You know, there was no welfare state for Naomi and Ruth, uh, but God has always had a provision for the poor. And it's the community of God. It's the people of God, right? There was this provision of, of gleaning where um, God had, had laid out that the people of God were the ones who were to be generous, and they were to take care of the fatherless and the widow and the foreigner and the poor. We are to be that. Um, and behind the scenes, you know, it just so happens that, uh, that Ruth is in the field of Boaz. And Boaz is an upstanding older guy. And um, he's extraordinarily generous. He's very kind and he, he offers her more than just to be able to glean in the, in the field. I think he's just a little bit smitten, honestly, um, with this widow, but he's, you know, he's an honorable guy, but he does invite her into closer relationship and he's enormously, um, generous. And so, um, Boaz, his name means his strength is in him. He's called, Naomi, he's called Naomi's kinsman redeemer in the story. And when Ruth goes back home and she tells of this generosity and she says, oh yeah, it was this guy named Boaz. He was just like so kind. There's a shift. There's a shift for Naomi. There's a little glimmer of hope and her heart can shift just a position because she can see. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, 
God is still at work. And she even says, the Lord, bless him, Boaz. He's our kinsman redeemer. God has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And she begins to have hope again. And in that process of mourning, there's that place where we can actually shift just a position and have that glimmer of hope. Qualifications of a kinsman redeemer, it's pretty cool. He has to be that close blood relative, right? And then he has to have the resources to redeem all the property and the widow and raise up the heir and all of that, which is considerable. And then he has to be willing to pay the price because it's a big price. In the Old Testament, in the picture of Boaz of the kinsman redeemer, there's this beautiful whisper that points to Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer. He is our close relative. If you have come to faith in Jesus, if you have come to accept him as savior, then you have been adopted into his family. You are the son or the daughter of a king. And Jesus is your close relative. He has the resources to redeem you, but it's not silver and gold. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And he is willing. He voluntarily shed his blood, innocent blood on the cross. In that he fulfilled all the requirements for the forgiveness of our sin and to restore us into intimate relationship with a good, good father. And just as Boaz covered the corner of it, he covered Ruth with the corner of his garment. It's a beautiful picture of how God covers us with what he calls his robe of righteousness. We are covered. We are protected. We come under his shelter and his wings and his protection. He covers us with his righteousness, not our own. And the good news is, you know, we don't have to clean ourselves up and have an elaborate plan like Naomi and Ruth had to cook up. We don't have to clean ourselves up. All we have to do is ask. We just come and ask um, for Jesus to cover us. So the story closes with restoration for Naomi and Ruth. Uh, Boaz does redeem the property. He marries Ruth and this baby Obed, whose name means servant, is born. And the community that grieved with Naomi when she came back now rejoices with her in this promise because God, they say God has given Naomi a son. And even though Elimelech and Malin and Killian are still missing from the table, and I'm sure there's always a tender spot in her heart, Naomi doesn't live in that bitter spot of loss anymore. She finds joy in the promise of a good future ahead and she is ecstatic and she knows that God has worked all things to, to bring this restoration around. You know, Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church, he describes life as uh, railroad tracks, two parallel lot, tracks running next to each other. One track, joy, happiness, fruitfulness, success, sunshine. The other track, loss, pain, hardship, death. And he said, those two tracks run parallel in our lives. And sometimes we're leaning mostly on this track, one track, and sometimes we're leaning on the other one. But both are present in our lives. There's joy, there's beauty, and there's hardship. So in a group like this, I would ask you, are you in a season where you're on that track of hardship and loss and sadness? There are a few things that I would say for application that might be helpful. First of all, connect with Jesus, your kinsman redeemer. We just sang about our suffering son of God, right? You know that Christianity is the only religion where a God suffers. He, in Hebrews it says, he became human. He came in the form of humanity so that he would suffer. He knows what it feels like, and he enters into the suffering of humanity. And uh, Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, unlike the close relative that said, ah, you know, I'll take the land, not, not so much Ruth, right? She's baggage. 
Jesus isn't like that. God is not like that. He takes all of our baggage. He redeems it all. He takes it all. He's happy because um, even those things that we wish that we could keep hidden, the least attractive parts of our story, he knows that he can redeem those and show his glory. Also, live from your true identity. Live from your identity in Christ. Don't live out of an identity broken by pain and disappointment. Your identity is that of beloved child. You are called and you are wanted and you are valued and you are chosen and you are an overcomer and you are in a masterpiece and you are redeemed. There are so many of those words that those are who God calls you. Live out of that identity. You are redeemed. And then connect with a compassionate friends in a healing community. Need, we need safe people who, with whom we can be honest. You know, Naomi didn't sugarcoat it. She just told it how it was. And we need those safe people where we can be real and we can bring that real. And they say, I get it, right? Connect with compassionate friends in a healing community. I think sometimes we can find that grief actually can serve us in unexpected ways. Just as Naomi and Ruth's relationship got deeper and sweeter, we can find that those friends and those family and those people who walk it through with us, our relationships can get deeper and sweeter as well. And definitely our relationship with God, with our, our loving Father God, that can get deeper and stronger. And when you're able, tell your story. Share your experience, your strength, your hope. Because the restoration of your pain brings God glory and this world needs hope. And we have hope to share when we walk through those hard things and we experience the restoration of God. One of my life verses is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that, anytime there's a so that, you gotta pay attention because that means there's a purpose in those troubles, right? who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from Christ, from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And of course, if you are on the other rail and you're in a season of joy and, and happiness and things are going well, Hey, there's some things you can do too. Number one, connect with your Jesus, with Jesus, your kinsman redeemer. That's number one on any, at any time, right? And then live from that place of gratitude. Recognize that God is blessing and he's present. But deepen your reserves. Develop resilience by cultivating a deep reservoir of his presence. You know, just like our bodies need nourishment, right? Our souls need nourishment. And the nourishment for our souls is the presence of God. When we come into the presence of God, our souls are nourished. You know, I, and, the, and the presence of God dwells within every believer. We can touch his presence. He's right there with us. Sunday, I love these times together. I love these times together. Um, but Sunday's not enough. If we only eat one meal a week, we will be like, you know, Killian, wasting and sickly, right? We, just like our bodies need nourish every day, our souls need that daily touch, that daily nourishment from the presence of God in the word and in prayer and in worship, in solitude where we can actually sit and hear what's going on, really recognize what's going on inside of ourselves and hear his voice. Solitude, time with the one who knows us best and loves us most. And then connect and serve in a community of acceptance and healing. I hope that you connect here because that is who we want to be in Vineyard Boise. We want to be a, a community that is 
broad, that is open, that is inclusive for the brokenhearted, for all to come in and hear of the hope of life with Jesus Christ. And in this community, there are lots of places to serve. As I said, God designed um, the, aid, the agency for care for the poor and the brokenhearted to be the people of God. And that's who we are. And there are lots of places here to serve um, with compassion. And be a compassionate friend. You know, Ruth didn't try to, she couldn't fix things. If we're walking through to, uh, uh, you know, a time uh, with a friend who's grieving, everyone processes their grief differently. It, you know, a different time frame, different emotions. Everyone has that individual place where they have to process that. We, we don't need to try to fix it. We can't cheer them up and say, get over it. That, that is not helpful. <laughs> and that is not compassionate, right? Just sit with them, be present, listen, pray, take out your Kleenex. Just walk it through. Instead of getting over it, we get through it. And we need the compassionate friends to walk with us. So we're gonna come to a time of ministry. I'm gonna have the, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back. I do want us to think about this. We're gonna have a time of ministry. There's gonna be some um, words on the screen for ministry as well. But I wanna say that grief can cast a deep shadow over our lives. And in the worst of it, we may feel engulfed by darkness. But shadows are meant to follow us, not lead us and not consume us. And shadows are actually only available when there's light. There are no shadows on cloudy days. The sun has to be shining. There has to be light in order for there to be a shadow. The word tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the light of the world. We fix our eyes on him and we turn toward the light. Today, if you're in a place of darkness, I, I pray that you would just, in your heart, if just be open and shift the position just like Naomi did. Shift a position and be open to the light. Turn toward the light and then move toward the light. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose, like Ruth and Naomi. Our small stories are part of a much grander story. His loving purpose is to redeem, redeem humanity from the power of sin and death so that they no longer rule over us. Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us, picked us up and moved us into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of his son where we have forgiveness of sin, right? We've been transferred. That has, no longer should have dominion over us. This isn't heaven, we know this isn't heaven, but it is coming for each of us where every tear is wiped away, death is overcome by resurrection life, but we can experience new life and restoration in Jesus. So I'm, I'm just, as we enter into prayer, um, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to just sit, not stand. Uh, often we'll have you stand. I'm just gonna ask you to sit for a bit and um, I'm just gonna ask, uh, like I said, there, there will probably be words for prayer. But the most important thing I wanna say is if there's anyone here who has never um, known what it's like to be held by Je Jesus, their kinsman redeemer, I'm gonna ask you just to um, stand up. Jesus is waiting, it's an invitation to life. And if there's anyone here, most people in this room have, have stood up and, and made this decision to, to turn their lives and their wills over to the care and the control of Jesus Christ. But there's, if there's anyone here who needs to meet Jesus today, I just ask you to stand.
okay, if you're in that place of hurting today, if you just all close your eyes, we're just gonna move through a few of these things. If you're here and you're hurting, I would say to you, don't go it alone. His presence is here. His presence is here for you. You are not alone. His presence has healing, has comfort, has strength, has wisdom, has power. Open to the light and receive his presence, his comfort today. Whatever you're grieving or wherever you've lost, hand over that regret. Maybe there's, maybe there's some who feel disconnected, isolated, alone, disconnected even from God. Now there's just been too much disappointment, too many hopes that have not come to pass, and too many prayers that haven't been answered. If you're feeling disconnected from God, His presence is here. His presence is for you. You're not alone. Have you taken on an identity that connects with defeat and loss and sadness? Have you found yourself bitter or hopeless? His presence is here for you. His presence is here. Let go of the, sometimes we've heard those names and those descriptions and those labels for so long that we think that's who we are, we think they're normal. They're not. That's not what God says about you. He says you're loved, you're His child. You're wanted and valued and precious and priceless and worth it. Let go of those labels and choose to believe what God says about you. If maybe you're afraid to connect because you've been hurt in church before, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But would you take a moment to open your heart to trust again? to allow God to lead you to compassionate and honest and close relationships, to be in a place where God is honored and God is followed. If any of these things, if you relate to any of these things, would you stand? If you're hurting, if you're in grief, if you're feeling disconnected or isolated, if you know that you've taken on a label, something, that you need to let go of. Would you stand? I know it takes boldness and courage. Thank you. Thank you. I know it takes courage to stand up, but God stood up for you. All across this room, there are people standing up and saying, I need the presence of God. And He is here for you. is here for you. God, I ask that you would touch each heart. You know the cry. You know the specific need that's represented in every life that's standing. You know what the hurt is. You know what the loss is. You know what the need is. And you are more than ready and more than willing and more than able to meet all of their needs. Lord, I ask that right now that you would move with healing, that you would move to heal broken hearts, that you would touch 
and that you would restore and that you would remind and that you would bring to mind your faithfulness and your goodness. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called, you will be called, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Our world needs the display of His splendor. They, the, our world needs our stories of hope and restoration. I would ask you, I know some are getting prayer around the room. I thank you for our prayer ministry team and our just compassionate friends who are praying for people all over the room. But the, you can come forward. If you would like to come forward, there is a prayer ministry team. There are uh, words that our prayer team has gotten. Um, I think they'll go up on the screen um, because those are specific. The prayer team has been praying for you all morning. They prayed before you ever came. God knew you would be here and he knew that he wanted to comfort hearts. His promises are true and he's here. Come forward and we'd love to pray for you. For right now, I just want to proclaim, God, you love your people and we are grateful that you can help us pivot from our sadness and despair into praise. for your glory and for the hope of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.